Turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 13. We've been in a study of Mark, and we come today to where Jesus speaks of the second coming of Christ. The desert storm events with the large army gathered there and all the nations involved gave rise to many speculations about the second coming of Christ and about the Battle of Armageddon. And if you uh, listened on the TV program or programs or the airwaves, uh, you heard many sermons preached about that time about maybe this is it, the Battle of Armageddon. You had books being written, rushed into print, and you had uh, many predictions being made. Uh, well, it turned out that he didn't, it wasn't the Battle of Armageddon. Hmm? Will there be a battle of Armageddon? Uh, what will be the indication that it's here and so on? Some of those uh, events are mentioned uh, in Scripture. This is, the, this is the place in Scripture where more is said about uh, the second coming than any other section of Scripture, and certainly more by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he, uh, he responds to an observation by the disciples concerning uh, the refurbishing of the temple. In verse 1 of Mark 13, And he went out of the temple. As he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. This temple had been standing since 515 B.C., rebuilt after the return from Captivity in Babylon. Herod the Great started uh, refurbishing the temple. And for 46 years, piece by piece, this temple has been being refurbished. 500 years old now. There were huge stones involved. Stones the size of a boxcar of marble, glowing white marble. Uh, they comment on that. And Jesus predicts the total destruction of this temple. In verse 2, Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then they raise the question about when, the, the time, and what will be the sign of this? In verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? This is called the Olivet Discourse, as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives. You find this in Matthew's Gospel, in Luke's Gospel, and here in Mark. There's some variation in the three accounts, and one sometimes uh, that will include a statement he made that the other doesn't include, and that helps us put it all together. Uh, in Matthew's account, there's a further question that they ask. It says, when will these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled and the end of the world? And it may be that in their mind they identified the destruction of the temple 
and the end of the world. At any rate, Jesus, uh, in his answer, weaves two great events together. The destruction of the temple and the tribulation that would precede it, and his second coming, which hasn't occurred yet, and the tribulation which would precede it. He weaves those together, and it's not easy to separate what applies to the first from what applies to the second. The reason he weaves them together is that the one is a type of the other. Uh, there will be a lot of similarities. Now, uh, he mentions the precaution that they need prior to the time. Verse 5, Jesus answering began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. He warns about the danger of deception. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There will be false Christ that could deceive you. Now, there's not much record of such false Christ leading up to the destruction of that temple in 70 A.D. by by Titus, the Roman general who came. He was the son of Vespasian, the Roman emperor. He was a prince, and he came then and destroyed the city and the temple. But there's not much record of false Christ. But since that time, and leading up to the second coming, there will be a number of false Christs. And we have them around today. Sun Yat Moon, the founder of the Moonies, claims to be Jesus Christ. And so we, we see this kind of thing fulfilled. You could be deceived by that. You could be deceived by calamities occurring that would make you think that the event is near at hand, whether you're speaking of that destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. or the return of Christ. And verse 7, when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Don't be led astray by such events, thinking that they are indications of the time being at hand. They're not. Now, when you hear a sermon uh, on the air on the second coming, and the person is stressing that it could well be close, what do they What signs do they give that it could be close? They say, well, there's so many wars, there's so many earthquakes, there's so many famines. 55,000 earthquakes in the world today, this year. Therefore, his coming is very near, right? Wrong. It says that's not a sign of the coming. Don't let those things disturb you. Don't be led astray by such. He mentions the danger of being deceived the danger of defection. That's the real danger. And uh, verse 9, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Verse 11, 
But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate. But whatever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Uh, There will be uh, all types of persecution. You'll be brought before councils, but you'll be given special help by the Holy Spirit to answer in those situations, says Jesus. Uh, You'll be betrayed by loved ones, verse 12. The brother will betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. Betrayal, not just by enemies, but by friends. Uh, Maybe we saw an illustration of that recently in TV. The great scene there of the Senate hearings and so on. This is this whole period of time leading up to the destruction of the temple or leading up to the second coming of Christ. These kinds of things will occur all that time. Universal hatred, verse 13. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The offense of the cross has not ceased and will not cease. And uh, many will defect under such situations. You need to count the cost. Uh, Are you willing to undergo persecution as a Christian? Uh, Because you can expect it. Now, it will intensify close to the second coming, I believe. We've been remarkably free of such persecution here in this country. Oh, you know, uh, this people will ridicule you in one way or another or make fun of you. Uh, one of those dumb fundamentalists, uh, you know, uh, that's all right. But uh, no one's feeding us to lions here as Christians have been down through the ages. But, you know, it's amazing. Uh, as Christians have been fed to the lions, women and children, read Fox's Book of Martyrs and see how God enabled even women and children to take such persecution and yet remain faithful to Jesus Christ. And you must. You must. The necessity of being faithful unto death. It says uh, in verse 13, the last part, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I remember reading about uh, when the Chinese communists took over, and there was a particular Christian school over in China where uh, the children were lined up and a picture of Jesus Christ was placed uh, there, and uh, they were told that unless they trampled on that picture, they would be shot. And uh, the first three students, they were all lined up, the first three students went over and trampled on the picture of Jesus Christ. And the next was a young girl, and she went over and knelt and kissed the picture of Jesus Christ, and she was shot. 
And every child after that followed her example. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. We are required to endure to the end. He that shall endure unto the end, the shame shall be saved. The danger of defection. We must not defect. Now, he will keep us. And we see that uh, remarkably as we read of the martyrs. But we must be prepared to endure under such persecution. Well, we see the danger of being deceived, the danger of defecting, the delay while the gospel is being spread. In verse 10, the gospel must first be published among all nations. Now, that's obviously wasn't applying to prior to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., but it, it does apply to prior to Christ's return. Uh, that uh, the great priority, the reason God is delaying that return is that the gospel might be proclaimed to all nations. That's our job. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And that must be given absolute priority. It has that priority in God's plan, and it must have that priority in our lives. In spite of all opposition, you say, you don't understand, Frank. I mean, if we send missionaries down to Peru or down to Colombia or wherever it is, they are being shot by those guerrillas. They are being, uh, their families are being killed. That's a drug area. And so, I understand. It's always been dangerous to spread the gospel. But the gospel must be spread. And in spite of the opposition... We must go out. Certainly we want to be wise and, and avoid unnecessary risks. But it is necessary that the gospel be spread. What is the gospel? The gospel is the most valuable thing in the world. And it is deposited with us in trust to be kept pure, not corrupted, not Christianity in water, but real Christianity. A real God, the Son, becoming man. God and man, dying for our sins as our substitute, undergoing the wrath of God. God is a holy being, undergoing his wrath due to us for our mountain of sin. Each of us. That's a fact. We all have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Rising from the dead, offering salvation, reconciliation with God, a personal relationship, forgiveness of sins, indwelling Holy Spirit, offering all that as a free gift upon condition of, of repentance and faith. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, believe his claim and, and trust him to save this learned sinner and surrender my will to a master, so that my choice is, I want to know what he wants me to do. And the rule book is here, his word. And that's my approach to life. Certainly, I don't always live up to it. But nonetheless, that's my approach to life. Do you have a master? Have you made that kind of commitment? That's the, that's the gospel. And that's marvelous. Wonderful. I'll tell you what, do you understand your situation? And... <laughs> That's the best news in the world. Now, 
Now, that must go out, and God is delaying the return of Christ while that goes out. We see the precaution needed. Uh, don't be deceived. Be prepared to stand, not defect. Uh, the action needed when the time comes. That was a precaution prior to the time, but when the time comes, what do you do? And uh, verse 14, But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house. So on. The indication that the time is at hand, the abomination of desolation. What does that mean? Well, he says, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. If you read Daniel 9, 27, it talks about after the death of Christ, who will be, a Messiah shall be cut off, says Daniel, but not for himself. He'll die for us. And it says that the people of the prince who shall come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And Daniel wrote that in the 500s uh, B.C. The people of the prince that shall come, that would be Titus, shall destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple. And uh, there were, are desolations determined unto the end, and so on. It talks about the abominating desolation. The, desolation, the abomination that causes desolation is the idea. Now, here's again where we get help as we look at what one of the other accounts in one of the other Gospels says. We've been reading Mark's account. If you look at it in Luke, there's an extra verse that's not found in Mark. And uh, this is in Luke 21:20, where it says this. When you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. That's, that's what the abomination of desolation is. It's Jerusalem encompassed with armies. When you hear wars, rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. When uh, uh, there are famines and earthquakes, that's not a sign. But when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, that's the sign of the destruction of the temple, says Jesus. That's the time to flee. And... Uh, <clears throat> It was fulfilled that way at the, in 70 A.D. And there'll be a similar fulfillment accompanying the second, the second coming of Christ. Prior to the second coming of Christ, certain things have to happen. One thing that has to happen, says Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of sin, the son of perdition, must appear. Uh, whose coming is according to the power of Satan with all lying wonders, uh, who will be destroyed by Christ at his coming with the brightness of his coming and the spirit of his mouth. Christ will destroy him. This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is an individual who must come on the scene leading up to the second coming of Christ. But another thing that will happen is recorded back in Zechariah 14, which says this, Verse 2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem, says God, to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city will go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off. There will be a remnant. 
Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. It goes on to say, And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. You saw this army gather over there in uh, the Mideast. They weren't gathered around Jerusalem. There have been armies gathered in the past against Israel, immense armies, during my lifetime, many of your lifetimes. But apparently, just prior to the second coming of Christ, there will be a gathering of armies around the city of Jerusalem. And they will be initially successful. Women will be ravished, houses broken into, people led away captive. But then suddenly, Jesus will intervene. He will return. Well, uh, as J.C. Ryle says, our Lord had in view a second siege of Jerusalem and a second tribulation accompanying that siege as well as the first siege and tribulation when the city was taken by Titus. That such a siege is to be expected, the 14th chapter of Zechariah appears to me to be the unanswerable proof. At that time, he said, flee. Uh, It was urgent. Don't hesitate for anything. Verse 15, let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein, nor take anything out of his house. I let the him that is in the field not turn back again to take up his garment. Woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days, because it's difficult to flee in that condition. And verse 18, pray that your flight be not in the winter. That's difficult too. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, neither shall be. Well, <clears throat> the action needed to flee, the urgency of that. Uh, There were fearful evils that would lead to dreadful suffering. Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us of what actually occurred. What actually occurred, 66 A.D., a group of rebels, Jewish rebels, zealots, rebelled against Rome, met the 12th Legion of Rome, and defeated them. An impressive victory. But everyone knew that Rome would come back and crush Israel. And uh, so people began fleeing the city, and they weren't prevented from it. And many, many, uh, many did. But then, in 68, the spring of 68 A.D., these zealots took over, prevented anyone from leaving, And uh, as the Roman army came and began to besiege the city, a number of Christians were able to flee and get out and fled to a little city called Pella. The uh, church father, Eusebius, tells us that. But as the siege goes on, there was horrible suffering. A lot of it caused by the zealots in the city. Twelve thousands of the people in the city who wouldn't cooperate with them were killed by the zealots. If anybody tried to flee then, they slit their neck. Uh, they, this warfare between groups in the city, they torched all the food supplies in the city. They had several years of food supplies. 
Anyone who tried to forage for food at night, the Romans would catch them and crucify them, as many as 500 a day around the walls of the city. They ran out of, they ran out of crosses for the bodies. In the city, the bodies piled up and up and up. Disease began to spread, famine. When the city finally fell in 70 A.D., 1,100,000 people had been killed in the process. 97,000 were led away captive. Unbelievable time of anguish and tribulation. Uh, Verse 20, except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, Christian's sake, whom he had chosen, he hath shortened the days. The precaution is added in verse 21, Then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, there he is, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Take heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. Don't be led by false prophets or misled by false prophets or lying wonders. Now, you see the precaution needed prior to the time, the action at the time, and now he comes to the description of the second coming. All of this was primarily describing what would take place in connection with the destruction of the temple. It's a parallel to the second coming. And he now deals with the second coming. In verse 24, the timing of his coming. It says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Notice the timing after the tribulation. Now, you had a tribulation leading up to the destruction of the temple. In 70 A.D., you'll have a tribulation leading up to the second coming. And we read about the culmination of that in the fall of Jerusalem. But there'll be really probably a worldwide persecution of Christians leading up to the second coming. Then the accompanying destruction of the universe when Christ returns. He says the stars will fall from heaven. The sun and the moon will not give their light. Second Peter 3 puts it like this. The Lord shall, it says uh, that uh, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Uh, seeing that all these things shall be destroyed, what manner of persons ought we to be, says Peter? in all holy conversation and godliness. The accompanying destruction of the universe, the appearing of Christ visibly in glory, then shall you see the, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. And the gathering of his elect, verse 27, then he shall send his angels and they shall gather together his elect, true believers, from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. The preparation required to be ready. Are you ready? The preparation required. He speaks of the lesson of the fig tree. Verse 28, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, 
know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Know the signs of this. You can tell when summer's coming. Do you know when this is coming? Be prepared. Know the signs. Um, the lesson of the fig tree, the destruction of Jerusalem is not far off, he said. In uh, verse 30, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Well, all these things doesn't include at that point the second coming. It includes everything that would lead up to that destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And that generation didn't pass. That was within 40 years. Some of those present would be alive when that took place. As uh, J.E. Alexander, the commentator on Mark, says, the contemporary generation should not totally pass away without beholding one great cycle of fulfillment, although that didn't exhaust the whole prophetic import of the passage. And this was certain, verse 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. They will be fulfilled. So, know the sign. But again, we're like servants of a nobleman who's gone away. Verse 32, of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for we know not. When the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he findeth you sleeping. What I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. The unknown time of Christ's return. The need to be prepared, be watching, be alert. Watch against indulgence of, the, of sin in our lives. Watch against slothfulness spiritually. Be prepared. Be praying. Be prepared by watching and by working to every man his work. We have a job to do. Our job is to get that gospel out to all nations and to, to all groups within nations. Whether it's the campus or the high school or the inner city, uh, whether it's uh, South America or wherever it is, to get that gospel out. Uh, that's to every man his work. Don't be found, found sleeping and neglecting our job. But what about it? Uh, are we being watchful? Are you ready? Suppose he came today. Are you working? Uh, are you tackling the job? Are you sharing your faith? Are you praying uh, for missionaries? Are you considering whether God would have you be a missionary to some section of the world? Are we really serving our master? Uh, are our priorities right? Francis Schaeffer has a sermon entitled, Ash Heap Lives. He says a young man, he used to uh, have to go past the city dump, and he would see all kind of uh, lamps and sofas and chairs and things that people spend a lot of money on, on the ash heap, burning up. You know, one day the whole world's going to burn up. And a lot that we've poured our energies and efforts into are going to burn up. They have no lasting value. 
What are we putting our energies into? I have a neighbor who uh, manicures his yard. I mean, he's got great grass. And uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time on my yard, and it, it used to worry me. What am I going to say when he walks over to me one day and says, Why don't you keep your yard looking better? And I thought about it, and I decided I'm going to say, You grow grass, and I grow people. One of them is going to burn up, and the other is going to last somewhere forever. Now, don't misunderstand me. I should keep my yard. <laughs> Love your neighbor. Paint your house. Isn't that the way it goes? And I should do a better job of that. But nonetheless, uh, matter of fact, some of you have helped me with that, and I appreciate it. But nonetheless, uh, what are we putting our efforts and energies into? Where are our priorities? This ought to help us set our priorities straight. Are you prepared? Have you made a personal commitment to Christ? Is your life changing as evidence that your commitment is real? Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, are you watching? Are you growing slothful uh, about spiritual things? What are your priorities? What are you putting your energies into? If you've never really made a commitment to Christ, do that right now. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, too long I have delayed. And I right now want to be prepared. I do put my trust in you as my Savior from the guilt of my sins, and I surrender to you as my master. Come into my life. Amen.